Hello everyone, I'm Marty Kirilovich, and welcome to the third episode of The Science in the Fiction. In this episode, I sit down with Professor Jamie Matthews, astrophysicist from the University of British Columbia, to discuss some of the solar physics in Robert J. Sawyer's The Oppenheimer Alternative, as a follow-up to our interview with Robert last week. We cover a fair bit of ground with Professor Matthews, who explains how his research career helped establish a new field of astronomy called helioseismology. Along the way, we discuss how this research has led to new capabilities currently used in the hunt for extrasolar planets, why having a fairly boring star is a good thing for life on Earth, and that we don't need to worry about our sun suddenly exploding and vaporizing us all. We also discuss his contribution to another science fiction novel by Spider Robinson and Robert Heinlein called Variable Star. Now, before we get started, I want to mention that Professor Matthews had a stroke a few years back, which we discuss in more detail during the interview. The stroke has affected his ability to speak on certain topics, use numbers in conversation, and pronounce some words. Also, his microphone isn't great, so I apologize ahead of time for the sound quality in some of what follows. But what Dr. Matthews has to say is amazing and comes across just fine if you bring a little extra patience and attention to your listening. So with that, I introduce to you Professor Jamie Matthews. Jamie Matthews is an astrophysicist at the University of British Columbia who specializes in solar physics and astro-seismology in particular. That is, he studies solar quakes, the equivalent of earthquakes, but in the sun and in other stars. There are acoustic vibrational modes of stars, who knew, uh, which are visible as oscillations in the luminosity, from which we can learn about a star's composition and thereby its age and its stage of life. He is the principal investigator in the Canadian Space Agency's MOST project, which stands for Micro Variability of Oscillations of Stars, uh, a specialized astro-seismology satellite that was launched in 2003 and took data for 11 years. Moreover, Jamie Matthews is an avid communicator and educator of science with appearances on the Discovery Channel, the CBC, Global, CNN, and others. So with your credentials firmly established, welcome to the Science in the Fiction. Thank you very much. Great to have you here, Jamie. Um, now, this interview is going to be a follow-up uh, of our interview with Robert J. Sawyer uh, about his book, The Oppenheimer Alternative, and specifically the solar physics that leads to the sort of crisis in that book. But first, I want our listeners to get to know you and your research career a little bit. So um, let me let me start, uh, actually, on that, to saying that I know you from my days as an undergrad and master's student in the physics department at UBC. Uh, way back in 95 to 2003, uh, though I never actually got to take a class with you. You were always one of the more memorable and, dare I say, flamboyant uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> members of the faculty. And your dedication to teaching was as apparent as your dedication to research. I believe you were quite famous for your Halloween lectures. Was it Halloween? Uh, I think you faked your yeah, death once, uh, didn't you? Every, I, I used to do it. So my, my class, I would do a prank. The very first one, I did uh, alien. I got an alien to come out of my chest. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! I wish I was there. And then <laughs> over the over the years, it's gotten even more. <laughs> wow! I, I haven't I haven't thought about that for a while. <laughs> I do now recall, this is the rumor I remember hearing in the hallways of Hennings, yeah. uh, that, that Jamie Matthews had an alien burst out of his chest, and wow. It was it was 
quite a bit to do, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And people loved it too. Absolutely. I believe that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, your your online quote uh, uh online biography ends with quite an extraordinary little tidbit here. Uh it says, I have yet to live down being quoted in Discovering Discover magazine as saying, Exploding Star contains atoms from Elvis Presley's brain. Scientists confirm the king of rock and roll lived in another galaxy 160,000 years ago. <laughs> yes. So so that was during the, the separate of our time uh, in 1960, 70, 85, 7, 8, no. Ah, 1987. That, yes. Yeah. I think that's so that was the, the, the year, the first one that was ever done. And I was in Chile. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't discover but I was one of the first persons to do it. And uh, during uh, during that, the Tastrazi magazine came and they wanted to watch me. So I said, fine. And I was trying to say a thing that said that, you know, that uh, everything in our body was in a supernova at one time. So I said the other thing is I said, okay, I want to get it in in uh, discovery, but into uh, news, near news, I said, okay, uh, that the supernova had the uh, uh, the atoms in Elvis Presley's brain. So right. I just said that as a thing. <laughs> Under so to me, not only did they knew it, they decided to use it as the article. Right. So. It was kind of weird, but classic eh, though. Yeah, that's uh, what you have to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think now we know. Uh, this is how media works. Uh, they will take the the most outrageous possible thing they can from scientists and just run with it. So, uh, yeah, I guess yeah, you got to be exactly. careful. But it is true. I mean, hey, it, it is it, true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the other thing is true. Not not what I said. The thing is true. Oh well, right. Yeah, yeah, I guess they said something different, quite different. <laughs> yeah, but you can't. that's okay. Um, now, Jamie, you mentioned that you had a stroke and you might have yes. aphasia about certain topics. Um, well, so so what what happens is I had the stroke five, uh, one, two, three, four, five years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, next week will be five years. Next uh, month will be five years. The only things that I that get to me is aphasia. So even though I know everything that I want to say, there are some things that I just can't, or I can't do it really fast. Right. Uh, the other thing that is less for important for you is that I can't write sentences. Okay. Yeah, I never knew that before it happened. Uh, so, for example, if I wanted to, you know, for uh, it's better, better now or better. But uh, if I wanted to uh, do an email to you and I had like three or th three uh, paragraphs, it would take me a day. Wow. Wow. So, so 
that doesn't matter to you because I'm not doing it on uh, in my writing, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, every once in a while, I will I will think of something, and I I know what it is, but I can't say it. Uh, so sometimes that's when I can do the and the chat. That's what I because I, I can write it. I just can't say it. Right. Right. You'll see that sometimes I just go, okay, I don't know what, I, I know how to say that. Right. Well, that's, you know, okay. fine by me. We'll play it by ear. Uh, if you want okay. to sort of uh, use the chat, just let me know what's going on there. It's all it's all up to you, to be honest. I mean, me, I'll get what I can do. Yep. And I can do chat if I have to. I have a lot of time right now. Right. In fact, uh, yesterday, uh, I I finally retired. Oh, well, congratulations! That's a big move. That's a big day. Today's no, your first no, day of retirement. No, it's not. The, the, the problem is oh. that if I didn't have the stroke, I would be doing this for at least. Uh, well, I'd do it for twenty years. Right. It turns out that the that the law says that I have to retire by. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 71. Um, and right now I'm 65. Mm. But the reason why I'm retiring is because I'm not paid by UBC. I'm paid by the insurance company. Oh. The problem is, is they say that when you retire, then we're, we're well, done with you. And for them... 65 is when I have to retire. Ah, I see. So that's what I have to do. So basically, I'm 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 done for the rest of my life, right. as far as I know. Right. Uh, you don't have to, uh, work, but, but I, you, I'm but sure you I want to. I would rather be working. I really would. Yeah. But hey, what are you well, going to do? Yeah, I'm sorry it to be, hear it that. It could have been worse. I mean, to be honest. Uh, the stroke, people, I, they didn't know that I had it, and I don't know why. They still don't know why, uh, but usually with something like that, most, most people, I would be dead. Oh, wow. So, so that's good. <laughs> well, you seem pretty far from dead. Uh, to me, it's... it's yeah, yeah, no, you know, that's, you're... that's true, and you know, I still do lots of things, yeah. so it is getting better. But not enough that I can teach, mm-hmm. and it's not enough for me because of my uh, uh, my writing sentences. I can't write at a proposal, right? So I can't get any money. Wow. So, yeah. So I do things. I, I'm you know things like you. I'm doing things with an artist. Uh, when people still get me. Like uh, school girl, uh, you know, school uh, get me and say, you know, I want to know about space. So I do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I just can't work, right? Unfortunately, mm-hmm. as a astrophysicist anymore. Right. Yeah. So yeah. That's the way we go. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. I know you were so passionate. Yeah. You still are. You know. Uh, well, like I said, it be it would be worse. So. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that after ten uh, five years, I'm here, yeah, and I'm talking to you, yeah, that's good. Great, that's good. Great. Well, it is wonderful to see you again, Jamie. Uh, 
It takes me back. Um, nice to see you. You too. Yeah, it's been a while, I guess. Uh, I left UBC in 2003. Um, yeah. Is that true? Holy smokes. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Uh, actually, that uh, now that I've done my homework about your research career, I see that that's the year that your most satellite was launched. So That's correct. So, in fact, at the end of this this month will be the uh, second of the... Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twentieth anniversary of its launch. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so I actually only knew you before it even went up. Uh, you know, your research—you were just uh, making the satellite work, and you and your students were working on it when uh, when I was when I was there. Boy, that and it was means... it was wonderful. It really was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, does, it, does, it doesn't work anymore, unfortunately. The solar power doesn't work anymore. Right, right. Yeah, I read that uh, funding was cut in um, what 2014, and then and then it went offline right. in 2019. Right. But it, it yeah, it, it lasted for another uh, uh, five years, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then the solar power went. And we knew that we knew that the, at the beginning, but it didn't matter because the original mission was only one year <laughs> oh oh i didn't know that <laughs> okay. yeah yeah so like every new year was just another well they can't they got our money to do it and so we did keep doing it and the only thing is eventually the solar power uh was just it had to go and it did right, right. and uh, oh well that's good so, so you've got an extra 10 years of data that... possibly could uh -huh. So that was good. It was really That's good. Great. That's great. And people still getting that. Like our our data are still being used. So things are still being uh you know um published. So that's okay. Yeah. So it's still there. Yeah. In a lot of things. That's great. That's great. I just, you know, in the last couple of days, learned about astro seismology. Somehow, this was a a big blank in my education. I didn't realize that uh... there are many people like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, even even knowing a lot of physics and having thought about lots of things, it sort of came as a surprise to me that stars vibrated, um, because I thought, well, vibrating from what? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, what, what's hitting it? What, what's plucking the string? Right. But uh, so I've done a little reading and it does turn out that, uh, you know, it's fair. It, it basically it's a resonant cavity. And guess what? Uh, giant fusion reactions uh, in space uh, generate sound and uh, or at least the burning of the plasma or whatever else is going on inside a, yeah. a star uh, generates sound. And so these are actually acoustic waves bouncing around inside uh inside this yeah. enormous object uh, plasma or or otherwise you know sometimes i guess it happens in everything right whether you're a planet a neutron star yeah. uh, uh, a regular sure. star so why don't you just sort of introduce that for me a little more fill in the details what why do stars vibrate and what can you learn from that okay well if you can see my shirt i've actually got uh the sun there yep it very well uh, so basically uh, uh, the star and uh, other stars uh, they they ring uh, so if they go on and out 
um, and but not at all frequencies. It's only things where they're uh, resonant with itself. So it, we found out that this happened in the sun in the 1960s, and nobody knew what, what it was. It mm -hmm. just nobody knew. And it was for another uh, 10 years before somebody said, oh, wait a minute, they're like sounds. And then finally they said yes. Uh, and so now we use it uh, to, to inside the sun to look at the inside of the sun. So we call it seismology. Well, that's another thing that's hard for me to say, but uh, yeah. I think helo size, yeah, helo seismology, yeah. <laughs> helo for the sun and, and seismology, so, like on Earth, yeah. Yeah, and the reason why I'm doing it is because we did it for the sun, and I thought, wait a minute, maybe other stars can do it too, and so I was trying to do it from the ground, but they're really, really small things. Right, and so I was doing it for twenty years, ten years at least, uh, to try to do this, and it just wasn't doing it. And then I said, "Okay, why? Because of sound in the in the atmosphere. So what if we get rid of our own atmosphere? Then maybe we can do it." So I said, "Okay, then we can do it in a in a satellite." And so I said, "Yeah, that would be great." So we did it, and so we went into orbit, and it was looking for vibrations of the sun. That's why the most is uh, uh, about that. So, mm -hmm. uh, and it worked, and, and in fact, it was also the 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 reason why Kepler, which is a a, a satellite from NASA, weren't uh, going to do it until we went up and said, you know, this works. And so go up with your thing. And they did. Wow. Amazing. And what's the essential instrument there? So I gather that the, the vibration of the surface of the sun, uh, you can actually, so you're not listening right to acoustic waves, which obviously can't come through space because uh, there's no medium. So you're watching luminosity, you're watching brightness. And so you're right. seeing the brightness actually vary up and down yeah. and and how much and like what are we talking about small, though. like so so for example uh to see uh the the things that we had to see uh, the same thing that was doing in the sun it would be the same as looking at the empire state building all the lights are on and you want to get it a little bit smaller it was like taking one uh window and doing one shade by uh, one centimeter. Oh. <laughs> and that's, that's what we would see. Wow. Amazing. And okay, we were so the first ones to do that. That's incredible. And so I can see how, okay, so so uh, if you were looking at all of the windows on the Empire State Building, is what you're saying, if you changed, if, if you lowered one blind by one centimeter, that's the difference in total brightness that you're seeing. Yeah. Wow. That's okay. Right. Well, those are some right. sensitive instruments. So what are those? What, what now, now by the way, now it's fine. Because now we've got uh, Kepler and we've got uh, uh, other things like this. So now say, great, 
but at the time nobody had ever done it before Amazing. And so we were the first yeah yeah and i'm sure a lot of the technology for the detectors you used went into kepler ultimately or developing whatever the next well it's actually very different it's strangely oh. enough that all of the the satellites have different ones oh. so we did a different thing did another thing uh um uh caro which is the from the front was another thing everybody did something else and that was good because huh? we yeah. we all got it and we said okay you know you, you've sought this and we see it with our instrument so it was really good that's great so, that's yeah. how science should work so yeah, exactly yeah yeah and and i'm still curious what is the why does how how is it that the luminosity changes because of acoustic waves? So are you actually okay. seeing the light go up because the surface moves just that little bit closer to you? Yeah. Oh wow. That's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's not right. a lot of well, I mean it's a long no, way to the no. sun. <laughs> yeah. That's why it was really bad. That's why I spent uh, ten years tying it from the earth and not getting anywhere. Right, right. And wow. It was only until we got above the earth that we were able to do this. Amazing. And now we do it. Like now, Kepler is gone, uh, and most is gone, and Corot is gone. <laughs> uh, but uh, there is now a thing called uh, Tess, which is actually done, uh, is looking for planets, but it also does astro seismology. Right. And so we're still doing it. Well, it sounds like exactly the same experiment, right? With astrobio yeah. or as a xenobio or what do they call it? A exoplanetary, you know, discovering yeah. exoplanets right. by the transit method. So yeah. you're having this tiny little speck of dust planet move across the the brightness of of the su its sun, and yeah. so it's the same experiment, right? You're you're yeah. measuring this and, tiny and we little bit. Actually, after Moats was done, I realized, wait a minute, we can do this. I mean, before we launched it. I said, wait a minute, you know, we can do exoplanets. So eventually, I would say that uh, half of the things that were known by most exoplanets. Wow. And in, in one, one thing, uh, we actually got the, the, uh, the what am I going to say, uh, the refrescence, the refrescence. Yeah. Reflectance? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we said it for the first time with wow. most. And now we do it for uh, for many planets now. Uh, but we were the first ones to do that. Wow. Amazing. The little Canadian uh, astrophysics team that could. Uh, it's always the way with everything yeah. we do in Canada, exactly. it seems. We got to. Exactly. Oh, that's great. Amazing. Uh, so, so that's, that's fascinating. You know, a lot about stars, clearly, yes. uh, you know, you study star lifetimes, life cycles, their birth, I assume, you know, what, so, so, oh, here, tell us more about what you can learn from the oscillation. So, uh, I'll just set this up. The basic thing is if a star is made entirely of helium, it's young. If, sorry, of hydrogen, if it's made entirely of hydrogen, it's young. If it's made more of helium, more fusion has happened over a long time. And so it's older, uh, uh if it's a certain size of star, I guess, and we're going to get into that now, um, 
but the, I guess the the density, right? What the density of the star itself uh, determines the sort of frequency of the vibration that you're going to yes. see. If it's more right. dense, presumably it's like a tighter string, and so you get higher frequencies. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Now, you're saying the density. That was what just does the the kind of the main thing. If you're doing a a guitar screen, it would be the one thing, but Basically, because inside the density changes and go down. So what we do with all of these frequencies, and there there are literally billions of frequencies all at once. Uh, uh, they say what what it is like inside. Like not only the dimension as from the from the core to the surface, but uh, uh, how it goes around. Uh, so we can say at the, at, at the surface how the sun goes, but now with seal with the seal seismology, we can see how it goes inside as well. Um, and if you at the end you can figure out how much uh, helium is in the core, and if you know how much helium is there, then you know how long it has been around. Right. So we have a thing to say how long is a star, how what's the age of a star? Right. And we were the first ones to do that. Amazing. Holy smokes. And that's a I mean that's a big deal. This is whatever the the, the latest uh, telescope up there that it James Webb. The James Webb exactly. So the James Webb telescope right now is is out there looking further back in time than anybody's ever been able to do. You know, there's it's bringing into yeah. question the age of the universe, and uh, they're you know looking. This is sort of like the bread and butter of astronomy. Like looking at something yeah. and knowing how old it is is a major deal. Like that's sort of what you want to know. Yeah. <laughs> you want to correlate how old it is compared to how far away it is. And so this is an yeah, independent. This was measure. the first reason why we wanted to do it beyond the sun. Was to find out how 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 much were the stars, uh, how old they were they. So yeah. that was what it really was. Was how do you get how much a star is is um, how how ah, geez, now I can't say it. Yeah. Uh, but how, old <laughs> how old it is. Star. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really what we wanted. Amazing, jeez. Well, that's just and it's just amazing, and and then <laughs> there's all sorts of ingredients that go into that. So this, so this is a great thing to set up. So just like a guitar string, if you stretch it more, its frequency goes yeah. up. So that's kind of like making it less, no more. Uh, uh oh, that's like making it more dense. Yeah. So if 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 you get it longer, then it's it it's it's all um. If you got it longer, then the C goes down. Right. And if it's shorter, it goes up. Right. Yeah. But then that's convoluted with how dense it is. So you're yeah. getting... So both, now, yeah. now it's one, one thing, but now in the sun or in another star, there are now 10,000 uh, frequencies all going at the same time. Wow. So some are bigger, some are smaller, and they're all going at the same time. Right, right. And that's why we can do this. 
Because ah. it only one. And lots of people, lots of stars only do one star, one uh, frequency. frequency. Oh, wow. So it's fine. You can say something about it, but that's all. But now for the sun and other stars, we've got millions of them all at the same time. Then it opens up lots of doors to low what is it inside. And that's wow. what we do. Wow, that's okay. So you have a lot of information and in all the different frequencies, just like you do molecular spectroscopy, and you get you know yep. a certain set of frequencies, and that tells you about the structure of the molecule. It's exactly the same. Uh, this tells you about the structure, size, densities, all this sort of thing uh, of of a star. When you have exactly. all these amazing different frequencies to work from, I had no idea. Yeah. That's amazing. And so this really is like <laughs> listening to the music of the spheres. This this sort of fabled. Yeah. Uh, thing from Plato. That's where really the harmony of the spheres is from that. It really is now the real thing. Ah, amazing. Jeez. The sun is ringing <laughs> in, in complex modes. You know, this is actually something... I mean, I've never studied much astronomy, but uh, uh, you probably remember I worked with uh, Walter Hardy and Doug Bond during my time there, yeah. and they're a superconductivity group, and they had... Uh, you know, this amazing technique of having extremely high uh, quality resonances, you know, in, in basically these cavities, these cylindrical holes that they would make. And they would coat them with a superconductor and you pump in microwaves. And so they ring at this extremely sharp uh, resonance. And then you put in a piece of material and it changes the resonance. And so you learn about the material from the changes in resonance. So, you know, and it's a universal physical physics thing, right? Learn, uh, knowing how to compute and understand the, the, the modes. Yeah, the modes of, of the resonating modes inside, whether it's a cylindrical cavity in a piece of copper or it's uh, or it's an atom or it's an, uh, you know, a molecule or if it's the star. This is what we do, right? This is what we do. Yeah. Hey, have you ever heard of this book, um, A Beautiful Question by Frank Wilchuk? Frank Wilczek won the Nobel Prize. No, I don't for... think so. I know, I know him, but I don't know about. Yeah, so he wrote this book uh, called "A Beautiful Question," which sort of just asks the question: Does nature basically embody beautiful principles? And and I've read a lot of pop physics books, you know, and science books in my life, and I've studied a lot of physics, but somehow nobody's ever made it so clear to me as he has that. This is what we do, right? This is where atomic yeah. orbitals come from. This is where quantum, like when they were developing quantum theory for the first time, you know, on 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 simple atoms, they realized that the math and everything they needed was in, you know, vibrational modes of musical instruments, basically, uh, or, or sheets or strings or whatever it was, right? Like we understand how to compute the spatial properties of resonant modes on whatever, and uh, right. that's that's it, man. We live off of that now. That's what quantum theory was built on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and stars and quantum seismology, or sorry, uh, <laughs> helio seismology. Yeah. So, uh, so when I emailed you, I, I let you know that basically this is meant to be a follow up to to my interview with um, uh, Robert J. Sawyer. You know him, I think. You're friends with him. Um, yeah, you... I wouldn't say I'm friends, but I know him well, and I've we've been there on panels on oh. many uh, things. So yeah, oh. so I know pretty well. Oh, but I, I wouldn't say I'm a friend. Sure. 
Well, what, what panels have you done? Other things I've been with friends, but probably not with uh-huh. him. Uh, what kind of panels were you on? Are these at science fiction conventions oh, or conferences? Oh, um, science or? fiction ones, I think. Oh, wow. Great, great. Yeah. Have you read the Oppenheimer Alternative? Yes. Yes, I have. Oh, great. Okay, good. Because I was, I'm still a little fuzzy about what happens with the sun there. And so hopefully you can tell me. So as I uh, understand it, you know, the sort of crisis in this novel comes about. And I think this is such a clever thing that he did, right? He he looks at, he, he takes this historical fact that Hans Bethe actually got the temperature of the sun wrong. Uh, historically, right? The first paper about that, about nucleosynthesis in our star, it was in 1939. He's one of the founders of quantum theory. And and he figured out about how, how fusion works, you know, that helium atoms, hydrogen atoms blast together uh, to, uh, to, to fuse and that energy is released. And that's what's going on in the sun. Um, and there's different things that happen at different temperatures. And somehow he got the temperature wrong. He got it at 20 million degrees, which would imply or uh, that the sun was actually uh, uh, fusing carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen, uh, heavier atoms, heavier nuclei uh, than, than is true. Uh, a, a lower temperature would mean that it's only fusing hydrogen and helium, and that turns out to be what is true of our sun. Now, do you know about that? How did Hans Bethe get that wrong? Was that from theoretical considerations or did he have data that was wrongly interpreted or simply wrong, wrong? Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm not quite sure <laughs> uh, what it was. So like in the sun, both the, it's getting hydrogen to helium but it's also doing the other things as well. Um, so they're on a, it's on a kind of a strange um, thing. If it goes a little bit more, then it's mainly the f- first one. If it's a lot more, then it's both. Uh, and I think the reason was the, 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 that he was just so close to, he didn't know that at the time, but that it was so close to that, that she just said, okay, it must be this. Um, and it turns out that it was just a little bit less uh, okay. than that because, I mean, nobody knew what was in the sun at the at the at the start. So he did it right in that sense the, because he knew that the that the frequency, the temperature had to be enough to do a nuclear fusion. But he didn't have enough to to know exactly what it was, so mm. he kind of overestimated it. I see. That's basically why. Okay. Okay. Um, and presumably there, but I mean, presu- it surprises me, right, that you would get the temperature wrong, though, because you would think that you just look at the sun and you see the spectrum. And yeah, but the only thing compute- when you look at the, at the when you look at the sun. The only thing you do is from the surface. Mm. And the surface of the sun is like 20, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 6 million. Six that's how much thousand. it is at the, uh, the surface. Oh, 6,000 Kelvin. Yes. Yeah. That's it? Oh, oh, that's yeah. Okay. That's right. And so that's the only thing we know. The, oh, well, wow. At the, at, the, at the thing at the center. The only thing we did was basically finally when we had 
uh, hero seismology, that's when we did it. But before, to do that, you had to say, okay, the, the sun is like this at the surface. So if we go backwards, what's it at the, at the, at the, at the center? And they did that, but they got it slightly wrong. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Bad, so... you know, you... <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but that's how you did it. I mean, so the only thing they knew was how how was the surface uh the temperature of the sun at the surface. Right, right. And then it was all theory to back calculate what that that's right. what the source exactly. at the center might be. Yeah. Oh wow. And you're right, it's not a big difference if it's twenty million in the center versus fifteen million. Uh you know that that's a lot of theory that has to go in, and you can imagine that that's a pretty large error bar. But it turns out yep, it makes absolutely. a big difference in the nucleosynthesis. So if it's twenty million, you're fusing carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen, and if you're fifteen million, you're fusing then, just helium and hydrogen. Yeah. The another thing is now, though, because now we have seismology, it says okay, we actually got it right. Wait, we got what right? What what is the temperature in the sun from seismology? It's uh, it's ten, ten, one, ten, ten million yeah, degrees. Kelvin. Ten million Kelvin. Kelvin. Gotcha. Yeah, okay, okay. That's right. Okay. Okay. And so we know it's definitely just hydrogen and helium. Okay. So in the Oppenheimer alternative, what what uh you know the sort of crisis that he uh that that Robert J Sawyer creates, but the idea was I think that. Uh, you know, there was a higher temperature that was actually measured in 1939. Maybe he got it right. And then there were and then later we found out it was lower. And so actually they realized, oh, we've measured a spike in sort of like a, something happened in the sun that made its temperature go up and now it's going down. So there and and then, uh, you know, uh, uh, Oppenheimer uh, knew a lot of stellar physics and black hole physics and, and and neutron stars was actually something he knew a lot about neutronium and so they figured out or they that basically what's happened is there's there's been a sort of i think what what he's saying is like a partial collapse to a neutron star inside the core of our sun and then there's this uh you know uh wave of of energy from that that whatever event happened in the core uh, that's working its way out to the surface. And when it does, it's going to blow out the entire uh, corona, I guess, or the photosphere maybe. Um, and and that's going to, you know, vaporize basically Mercury, Venus, and Earth. Uh, and so the only way for humanity to survive is to make it to Mars. Basically, there was no other option. It's a great sci-fi plot, great uh, novum there, you know, the per, per, uh, sort of making this crisis. Um, is there, is that... Uh, you know, well, okay. what could it happen? Is great, it is a great science fiction thing, and everything that he has that comes from that is wonderful, but it doesn't, it can't happen. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just can't happen. Uh, so you can say it can happen, and that's fine, and everybody does that. That'll be that's fine, but actually, in the real world, no, it will so not happen. Well, in the real world and everything we know about our sun. So here's my question, though. If indeed there was, if indeed in 1939, the core of the, 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 the measurements of the sun or the core of the sun was 20 million degrees. And then later it went down to 15 million. And now I guess we know it's 10 million. If there has been a decline that large at the center of the sun's temperature, 
could there be something happening? You know, if that was true, the, uh, the, the, the problem is is more when, how does the uh, the temperature change that much that mm. soon? Right, it can't. Okay, <laughs> it just can't. Right. That's that's the problem there. That's why it doesn't happen because the sun can't go from a big, uh, 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 really big temperature to somebody less. Right. Can't. Okay. Not, right. not that, not, not that, not that big. Okay. Um, well, even though, so if we, let's, let's forget about the numbers, say from 20 to 10, like these are large, but if there okay. was a spike in temperature, which now we've measured has gone down, presumably that does mean that the the sun has to throw off that energy somehow. Right. So, so whatever, if the temperature ever does sort of suddenly drop, can we expect that basically <laughs> we're screwed? Or are we going gonna... the God, the God said this. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it... Okay, for maybe there's no mechanism, but I guess what I'm suggesting is the mechanism would be somehow to throw that energy into space and vaporize us all. Uh, so if if the sun was ever going to kill us, is that what we would see? Would we, you know, we're measuring the sun all the time. We know lots of things about it. If we got a signal suddenly that like, oh, my God, it's temperature dropped. Uh, would that be cause for concern? Uh, if If somehow it did it, then... To be honest, we'd be we wouldn't be here anymore. Okay, it's it's already been gone. Right. Um, so the the thing is, the sun is a really boring star, and that's <laughs> for us. Right. And like if you want to find a planet which has life, you want to go around a boring star. Right. And the sun is boring, really boring. Um, if the sun did other things, like if it was Talking about uh, um, seismology, if it was doing really big things like that, we wouldn't be there. We it would be we we wouldn't be here. Right. Um, so anything that has a really fast one is bad for life. Is and they would be bad for us. Um, so the, the point is, is that it's not. It, it's really. Uh, normal. Mm -hmm. um, so there are people, uh, sons, other sons that do things really bad. And and if you were on a planet around then, yes. So if it was another star with another planet, it would work. Okay. Maybe there are things about, uh, about uh, uh, science that we don't know. But this is one of those things that's big so but if it were it was going to happen yes then it would happen really quickly it really well, it would. would well this is the other thing yeah. i wanted to ask you in the oppenheimer alternative uh they do this calculation that if there was some instability at the center that's working its way to the surface it would take a long time like a long long time well by our standards like 70 or 80 years and so they predict that like oh in 2030 is when we're all going to get vaporized. Is that true? Or like, would it take a long time for something well, to work its way through? Yeah, the sun? In, in some sense, it's right. Like, for example, the the sun, that uh, the light that's getting from the sun, it, it was actually first created uh, a million years ago. Oh, my gosh. A million. Yeah. And so what happens wow. is that the uh, light is made. 
And then as soon as it goes, it runs into a something and it goes to another direction. And then it goes into another thing and it goes to another direction. And so it's like a binge ball thing. It's mm. going and even though it's going as fast as life is, it takes a long time to go to that. So the the sun, the the thing for the sun, the radius is. Oh, the sun is seven hundred thousand kilometers in radius, and so but to get. To get to the from the center to the sun, it would take about a million years. Right. Oh wow. So mm-hmm. so even even something really big would be about a million years. So if you send somehow, you could say, okay, something was going, uh, uh, you know, and, and it's going to happen in a few a few decades. Yeah, I don't know how you'd see it, hmm. but if it if it was there, it would be you could do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so we could so in the science fiction world, we could be taking uh, helioseismology measurements of the sun now, barely just invented, and then maybe we keep taking these measurements for the next thousand years, and if sometime in those thousand years. We do see, like you know, from our models and from the seismology, we yeah. see that something's happened in the center of the sun. We could still be pretty yep. okay because because it would take a million years yep. for that event. To be honest, to that's, that's probably I don't know how he does that, but uh, in the story, actually, uh, he, he all, seismology would be the thing that he should do, right? Because right. we could do that right now and say, wait a minute. Uh, the sun is no longer what we thought the sun was. Right. So, yeah. So, oh, neat. So neat. maybe in that sense, the penal seismology is the answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe. great. Well, one thing I really love about that book is that he he uh, on his webpage when you know there's a lot of material about it. He calls it a secret history instead of an alternative history because he's done oh. his best to actually have all of the fictional, you know, admittedly fictional parts yeah. uh, not actually no, and contradict. I, and I agree. I mean, he's doing it right, and it's a really good story. Yeah. But just the thing is, is like with a really good science fiction movie, sometimes you have to do something that. You can't, you, you know, doesn't happen. Oh, but sure. You say, but what if it does? Yeah. Then this is what happens. Yeah. And yeah. that's what he's doing. And yeah. so everything else is right, except for the the last, the first thing. Right. But that's yeah. fine. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. You got to introduce a, a tweak. And I think <laughs> I, don't, we... I, don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. That's yeah. just, just what you do. Well, that's right. It's science fiction. It's not science. Uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. great. Neat, neat. Hey, and did you know, I, I was blown away. One of the things I learned that I totally didn't know was that Oppenheimer, I guess the Oppenheimer Snyder paper, they were, were they really the first people to propose a black holes? Do you know about this? Um, I'm not sure about that. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. 
So, so he, you know, he says in this, uh, and it's uh, obviously, you know, we don't remember Oppenheimer as an astrophysicist. You know, if anything, people think he's a nuclear physicist, and really, if anything, he's he's a manager. You know, uh, in in the history of science. Um, but yeah, it turns out he wrote some very early papers with his graduate students before he was even involved in the Manhattan Project. Um, you know, in, in cosmology, and he proposed the notion of black holes. Now, it wasn't. I gather, you know, it, it, general relativity didn't even exist yet, right? So this, he must have proposed this very much, you know, just on the basis of of thinking about neutronium and thinking about neutron stars and thinking about collapse, but uh, a lot in, wasn't in, known yet. In, in, in some sense, Newton had the right uh, experiment to say, yes, he could do black holes. He mm -hmm. just didn't know it at the time, but uh, that everything was talking about Holds, you can do it from Newton. Oh, well, to be yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, and the the name hadn't even been been invented yet. Anyway, that was really really neat, surprising to me to to learn that about Oppenheimer. And now there's this movie coming out, uh, so it's quite a timely book. Uh, are, are you suddenly. gonna see? Are you, are you gonna see the movie? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. I love that stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. So one more topic. Um, we've talked about the Oppenheimer alternative okay. now. In our uh, in our correspondence, you mentioned this book by um, Spider Robinson, a Vancouver author, Canadian author, yes. uh, called Variable yep. Star, and you were a consultant yes. for him on that book. Uh, so maybe, right. uh, and it was specifically kind of about the same topic, like how do you make our star, a G2 stable boring star, how do you make it explode? Um, so let me just set this up and then I would love for you to tell me how you made it explode. So in okay. the acknowledgements of, so this is an interesting book. Uh, it's actually by Robert A. Heinlein and Spider Robinson yes. in the sense that Heinlein put together uh, an outline of this story like way back in the golden yeah. age of science fiction, probably in the yeah. 30s, 40s, 50s, something like that. And this, yeah. uh, these notes were found by his lawyer or something, or uh, and uh, the estate of Heinlein uh, went and you know presumably looked at various authors, and and the project was given to Spider Robinson, uh, who I guess has always written kind of in a similar style, and he was he was a student and a, and a yeah. mentee of of Heinlein, yeah. and so Absolutely. Spider Robinson wrote this book in two thousand and six, many many like probably forty years after Heinlein passed away or thirty, I'm not sure when yeah. it was, but a long time after after. Heinlein's death yeah. and uh and, and it was interesting yeah I mean I picked it up right away I, I'm only about a third of the way through so I haven't seen the the stellar physics yet uh yeah. but it's I gotta say it's interesting to read because it is like reading Heinlein which means it's yeah. also like reading something a little old-fashioned uh socially yeah. and culturally yeah. I, I won't nope. say it's it's not that it's Absolutely. sexist, but there's a certain casual chauvinism, I think, <laughs> you know, in the style. Oh, women are like yeah. this. You know, women, uh, for a woman, you would do that. Uh, and, and it's quite jarring, really, to read something yeah. kind of modern. Well, one, one of the things that does it, the, the thing that they got was seven pages. And it was just there, like in the, in the, uh, uh, a paragraph was gone. And we don't know how much gone to the end. So he ah. said, okay, I'll do this. And then realized that I have to find out what the ending is. Right. Because it's not there. Ah. Uh, so you, you don't get that yet, but you will. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and yeah. So, uh, so I've been friends with Schreiber for quite a while. And so mm -hmm. he called me about uh, the, the science things. And so 
one of the things he did is there is an astrophysicist in the book, mm -hmm. and and there that's me. Ah, excellent. So if you look at his at his name, you may not have gotten there yet. Okay. But when you get the name, it's uh, it's uh, a thing for Jamie Matthews. Oh, okay, like a, a an anagram or something like the scrambled letters. Kind of, not okay. even that. It's not just either. and uh, so uh, so I won't tell you anything about it because you haven't gotten there yet. But yeah. after after you uh, read it, then come tell me again, and I'll tell you more things about it. Okay, uh, well, but, you don't have to worry about. Let, let's let's do. A, we're wrecking it for me. I'm. Uh, I've sort of skipped ahead and skimmed through <laughs> to the end, uh, just to try to. But, get... uh, yeah, so it was it was really great, and when when he got that, everybody loved it. Yeah. Everybody loved it, and so they'd like to do uh, three more novels. Uh, uh, oh, really? But it's just that that. Uh, Spider is his his wife died. She's now ten years ago, uh, and so he's just not yet back into talking about uh, about writing again. Right. But maybe I hope he he will. And yeah. so uh, you know we're always talking about anything they do. He's got to go, uh, but. Right now, that's his last uh, novel. His last, right. So right. far, interesting. So maybe, um, yeah. In the acknowledgments, I'm just going to read it here. He says, uh, "Spider Robinson says, Guy or Guy uh, Imega and his daughter Claire created Brasil Novo, which is the planet that they go to, uh, together yeah. in the course of a bedtime story. They spent several years telling themselves, calling it Jungle World, and laterally, laterally, Jamie Matthews added a few refinements to help it retain its atmosphere. Jamie also figured out how to make its." its star satisfy the odd requirements I needed and educated me about the destruction of my own star, its precursors and its consequences, <laughs> as well as consulting on cosmology in general. So can you tell me about that? What, what did you do to uh, both the, 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 what were these weird requirements of this, this foreign star? And then what did you, in, you know, inform him of about the ways in which our star could, uh, kill us or explode i guess although the thing again again the, the the reason why i'm there is because it's part of the thing that has uh, the very star is why it's a aerial star so mm -hmm. i don't really want to tell you because okay. you have to wait <laughs> right we don't want to basically <laughs> basically what i do is for twitter he says, you know, I want to get this. And I say, no, it won't happen. And then he says, really? And I said, okay, well, let me think about it. And then I come back in a, in a month, in a, in a, uh, a, a few days. And I'll say, well, okay, maybe this might happen this way. And he says, okay, how? And so well, we'll wait for a bit. So it's it's those kinds of things. So he does. He's the thing that says, "Okay, I need this. Can I? Can it happen?" Sometimes I say no, and I, it just can't happen. But other times I'll look and I'll say, 
yeah. And so this is how we we work. And yeah. I really like it. I, I really like uh, Spider. It's it's just a wonderful person to know. And the other people that are uh, named in that, they're part of a thing called the Lunar um, Circle. We have a, a thing of lots of friends of Spider and other things. And we meet, we used to meet every month. Uh, not, not so much now. Uh, and that's where lots of the, the, the things come. And so I'm very happy to be part of that. I really am. Interesting. That's great. Yeah. What a wonderful circle. I don't suppose William Gibson attends once in a while, does he? I, I do. I've, I've, uh, uh, I haven't seen him for a while, ah. but he's good. Actually, strangely enough, it's funny you should do that because one of the uh, things I was the moderator between Spider and William. Really? And uh, yeah, it was really. Was this at a like a science fiction convention in Vancouver? No, no, this was. Uh, I'm trying to think. The Vancouver fan uh, um, writing. Oh, writing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just writing. Well, um, I think we've covered everything I could think of. We'll have to do this again and cover more. Uh, thank you, Jamie. Boy, what a you. what a pleasure I, I it is like talking the... to you. <laughs> well, it was really nice to talk to you. Cool. Well, I'd love to talk to you, you know, on a regular basis. You could be a friend of the show and uh, come on anytime you want. Like I said, I think sure. in my emails... Um, Part of my goal here is to get scientists and science fiction authors in a room together to have a conversation themselves. Right. So uh, I could imagine you, uh, you know, having a conversation with um, Robert J. Sawyer. Uh, uh, you've read his work and it could be very interesting. I actually, uh, last week I talked to Eric Kirschenbaum, who's a zoologist at the University of Cambridge. Yeah. He wrote a very interesting book called The Zoologist's Guide to the Galaxy. And it's sort of about yeah. exobiology, you know, what we can expect yeah, from the that, universal. That, that, that one I know. Oh, you know it. Okay, great. Um, yeah. Well, he uh, he's agreed to get in a room with Robert J. Sawyer because that's his favorite author. So maybe we should just put all three of you in a room and see what happens. Uh, uh, have a conversation between a physicist, a zoologist, and a science fiction author. I think you guys could cover a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah, it would be indeed. Neat, neat. Well, I hope that this works. I mean, I, I'm sorry, the aphasia... It's just what I do, but oh. I, I like I, I I really like the fact that you, even if it doesn't work, at least you got me to get there, and that's and so I I thank you. For that. Oh, you're really very am. welcome. And you know what? It's been no problem, really. Uh, the aphasia part, uh, you writing a few things here and there. I think that's that's actually just makes it more interesting. Well, thanks again, and I hope you have a great evening. And we'll do this again. Yeah. See you later. Bye-bye. Well, I think that was pretty interesting stuff. And thanks for listening to our first pairing of a science fiction interview with a science interview. I hope you learned some cool stuff about our sun and stars. And if you enjoyed these first three episodes, I invite you to like, subscribe, leave a review. But most importantly, recommend us to a friend who you think might like the show. We're just getting started, and my intuition is that growing fast at the beginning is the best way to catch the attention of whatever algorithm puts us in front of new listeners on Spotify, Audible, Apple, and Google. This episode wraps up our focus on solar physics for a little while, 
And the next two interviews will switch gears to talk about exobiology with science fiction author Julie Cherneda and zoologist Arik Kirschenbaum, which will follow after our next episode where Holly and I will have a conversation about another book we read together by Robert J. Sawyer, The Terminal Experiment, which is all about brain uploads. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll keep tuning in to the Science in the Fiction. <laughs>